Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Friday Arvo, I'm coming at you before we prepare for what looms as a very, very entertaining weekend in the sporting world. There's plenty of NBA bits and pieces to get to. The postseason is in full swing. We know which team's kind of controlling each series at the moment. There's a few notable injuries as well to some big names that I'm going to get to. With the top five, I want to address also the return of Toby Green. Maybe by the time you listen to this on Saturday, you'll know how he and the Giants went. But very interesting uh, weekend of footy coming up. Plenty of fantasy bits and pieces to get to as well. I'm uh, looking like for the second week in a row, going to bring in a big dog for my midfield. So I'll talk about my teams and, of course, the rookies and cash cows that you need ahead of round six. So let's not waste any time. Let's dive right in. Number one item on the agenda, top of the order, I want to discuss Marcus Smart winning Defensive Player of the Year. First guard to win it since Gary Payton. Congrats to Marcus Smart. He, for probably the better part of a decade now, has been a really good defensive guard. A lot of people probably had their personal preference when it came to defensive player of the year in the 2022 season. I don't think that there was really anyone who stood out as the unanimous choice. But like I said, credit to Marcus Smart. He's made a handful of all defense first teams in his career. He'll obviously make that again this year now that he's won the award. I personally would have probably voted for someone like Mikhail Bridges, but you could give Bam a vote. You could give... Jaron Jackson Jr. vote. So there was lots of different ways you could go. And his play has obviously been very important in arguably the best first round series uh, in the NBA at the moment between Boston and the Nets. That's a fantastic series that I think, and I'm praying goes seven. We've saw the home home side take care of business in the first two games, which they're expected to do. So there's no alarm bells ringing in Brooklyn. And we could see the surprise return of Ben Simmons as well for the Brooklyn Nets. So don't want to rule that out. I don't know how much of an impact he'll have or what role he'll play, but be very exciting just for the headlines really and for the potential of this series to get even better. It's been unreal for the first two games. The first game, I mean, there was probably points where, because I didn't get to watch it live, unfortunately, there were points I was looking back at it where it looked like Brooklyn could have just surged ahead and you could say the same in game two. Credit to Boston's defense. They've been making life really hard for Kevin Durant so far. Jason Tatum's taking the another step up. He's trying to cement himself as a bona fide franchise player and top 10 talent in this league. So kudos to those two big dogs. Kyrie's shot making is amazing. I think if Ben Simmons does come back and this goes all the way to sevens, we might be looking at a first round series that we tell our grandkids about. I know I'm not really surprising regular listeners. I've said that quite a bit, but there's so many storylines to unfold. Rob Williams might even return for Boston as well. So that's looming as a first round series that you cannot miss. Item number two, I want to talk about Debo Samuel of the San Francisco 49ers. If you're not an NFL head, this bloke is arguably the most versatile offensive player, not quarterback in the league. He could be one of the best players in the game. He's entering the final year of his rookie deal with the 49ers. He uh, has requested a trade, which is not ideal if you run a professional sports team. You don't want a stud like Debo to tell he want, tell you that he wants out. There was talks earlier this offseason about an extension and that both sides seemed like that was going to be happening. But obviously, Debo's got other ideas. He, uh, this season, was the third player in NFL history to have 1,000 receiving yards, five rushing touchdowns, and five 
receiving touchdowns. So like I said, very dynamic weapon, can be used in a lot of different ways. We saw that he was probably the reason that Sam Frank got over Green Bay in that uh, wild postseason game. There was obviously a lot of other factors at play, but he was the MVP in that game, if you ask me. And his trade request does come at a very interesting time for the wide receiver landscape. We've already seen that Devontae Adams now of the Las Vegas Raiders. He got traded earlier this offseason and got a huge payday as a result. Tyreek Hill did the similar thing. Obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs in a perfect world would have loved to keep him under a certain number, but Miami was happy to come to the party and pay up. And as a result, Tyreek Hill is now a Dolphin. So it'll be interesting to see what other wide receivers do follow suit. There's talks of Cooper Cup and AJ Brown of the Tennessee Titans potentially seeking new deals before the season starts. And there are a lot of weapons out there for quarterbacks in the form of good wide receivers. We should get a couple others in the first round of the NFL draft next week as well. So I don't know how well these guys will get paid, the likes of Cup and AJ Brown. Personally, if I was running an NFL franchise, I would try to make a trade for Debo Samuel. And I kind of want to see him end up at the Colts. I feel like they're a team that if they add a couple of other pieces could really make a push in the AFC as a contending squad. It's a pretty loaded AFC now, but you've got a solid quarterback uh, question mark, but Matt Ryan is definitely an upgrade over Carson Wentz. So we'll see how much fuel he does have left in the tank. And I think if they could get a weapon like Samuel, that would definitely help Matt Ryan in the offense and boost them up as contenders. But I guess you know, with the draft coming up, we'll see if Debo's uh, request is granted and he gets sent packing to another NFL franchise. The return of Toby Green is the third item of business that I want to discuss. Huge stretch coming up for GWS that could potentially make or break their season. I don't want to dive too much into Leon Cameron's coaching lifespan because personally, I think he's got enough runs on the board that he will be able to withstand anything that goes too pear-shaped, uh, but doesn't look like a great start for the Giants, and they need their match winner in Toby Green to fire tonight against the Saints. Like I said in the intro, you'll probably know the result of the Saints-GWS game by the time you listen to this, or you'll listen to it right in the lead-up too. But the season isn't on the line. I don't want to go to that stretch. But at one of four start, if GWS doesn't win this game, they're going to face a monumental challenge to play finals. And again, Leon Cameron should be safe, but that might just rock the boat a little bit, and we might end up seeing some of these other big-name GWS players or personnel start to consider an exit. Stephen Keneally, come back to Frio. But in all seriousness, uh, I think if they can get the win against the Saints tonight, they've got Adelaide next week. So you could look at 2-0 and and put them back at a 3-4 and mix. And then all of a sudden, they're back on track with games against Geelong, Carlton and West Coast after that. So hopefully Toby's back. I'm tipping, let's say he's going to have 18 touches and three snags tonight. But I don't know if it'll be enough for GWS to get the dub. I know I keep throwing this bloke under the bus, but number four, I want to continually talk about how much Carl Anthony Towns sucks in the playoffs. I don't want to throw too much shade at the bloke as his reputation has obviously hasn't really got a lot of chances in the postseason, but the ones he has got, the big games he's played in, he hasn't exactly stood out. So in the playing game, I kind of talked about how much he crapped the bed. He had more fouls than buckets. They just got over the line, but it wasn't really anything to do with Cat. It was the luck of Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. He was massive in that game as well. But in game two and game three of this series, Cat continually uh, kept that trend alive. He's got more fouls than baskets in both of those games. And he just doesn't seem like he's competing in the right instances. He's giving away dumb fouls. 
questionable shot selection. He got done for a travel down the stretch and another loose ball foul fighting for a rebound that gave him his fourth or fifth in the game. And as you probably know, Minnesota blew a massive lead so that the Grizzlies could go up 2-1 in that series. I feel like if Minnesota was going to shock the world and win that, they needed to pull that one out. Memphis is a very deep team and they showed how well that they could play even if Jar's having an off night by erasing a 20-point deficit to come back and win in Minnesota. And it's a bigger picture question what to do with Carl Anthony Towns, whether the T-Wolves decide to cash him in for someone that wants to give him a young star and bits and pieces, whether which is the most likely outcome. They stick with D'Angelo, Anthony Edwards and Kat and hope that organically those three can keep growing and they build and tweak pieces around them because they do have a solid roster. But man, Carl Anthony Towns, it's a letdown, the performances I've seen of him so far. I put him in my third All-NBA team at the center spot. I thought he arguably had his best season of his career. He looked like he was ready to take the leap and lead Minnesota through the playoffs. But at the moment, he's shrinking under the limelight. The fifth one, injuries suck in sport, man. There's nothing worse than us potentially losing out on what would be a massive, whether it be AFL final or an NBA series or any other matchup or any other sporting accolade when someone gets quelled by injuries. Devin Booker's the biggest name to be struck down at the moment. He's got a hamstring issue and he currently doesn't have a timetable to return, which isn't great news for Phoenix. I don't think it's a massive concern for them against the Pelicans. It hurts, make no mistake, but they should still get it done against New Orleans despite the Pels putting up a fight and stealing game two in Phoenix. I think I probably haven't given... New Orleans enough credit. I have spoken about how I like their roster, but I still think that Phoenix is the best team in the NBA and has a bit of daylight between them and the field. But obviously Devin Booker's injury certainly closes that gap significantly. And that's a very different Suns team without him. Hopefully he can come back late in the next round or before the conference uh, finals, but we'll have to cross our fingers and wait and see. Chris Middleton, he's in a bit of a similar boat. He has a MCL sprain and he's been ruled out for game three and four. And it's highly likely that he misses the rest of this Chicago series. I think I saw earlier that the Bucs were considering reviewing him in a week or two's time. Not ideal because you really need him as a secondary scorer next to Giannis. The chances are that in round two, they'll be going up against Boston or Brooklyn at this rate. So if that is the matchup that unfolds, then you probably want to have someone like Chris Middleton to throw at those talented wings on both teams, really, or to provide a secondary scorer, like I said, against a great defensive unit in the Celtics. That'll be interesting to watch his availability. I hope that he can get back before the next round or during the next round. That seems like the most likely outcome, and chances are he'll probably play through being banged up a bit, but I do wonder how bad his injury is, and we might see him miss more time similar to Book. Last one is Luca, who tough scenes for the Dallas Mavericks on their superstars front, but doesn't seem to matter right now. They won the first two games. So shout out to the Mavs, but they can't really be considered as a serious threat or make too much of a run if Luca isn't himself. And given what I've heard about the calf strain, I listened to Raja Bell talk about it on his podcast and a few other NBA heads talk about how bad a calf strain is and how he's got no explosiveness, etc. I think that that'll really hurt the bloke. And I don't know if we'll get the same Luca if he does come back and when he does come back. If Dallas keeps rolling, they'll probably rest him for the rest of this series if they win. And then hopefully in round two, we might be able to see him join his new uh, future all-star teammate in Jalen Brunson. Footy talk. Now, the Monday teams on Anzac Day have not yet been finalized. So we could have a potential couple of debutants in Jackson Callow and Ned Long. 
my advice, and I'm sure every fantasy coach will just kind of wait on those boys and see what happens. Two ripper games of footy. We should be uh, primed for a fantastic Anzac day. But I want to start, obviously, at the top of the order. So as I said, Toby Green is back tonight for the Giants. That's a very handy in. Braden Pruce playing alongside uh, Matty Flynn. Not great for his fantasy prospects. I should see Prucey get to 65 without any worries. I think he's shown that he can tackle around the ground. He doesn't necessarily thrive on a lot of hitouts to score well, but what he does thrive on is kind of being around the footy. So if he's resting on the bench or being used as a clunking key forward, he might not score as fantastic. And that isn't fantastic for those blokes uh, like myself who have him slotted in, in their second ruck spot. Uh, speaking of ruck spots, a lot of people will have Tim English potentially in their forward line rather than their ruck rotation, but he's out with a hammy that could miss two to three weeks. So if you have Timmy in your team, sorry to say, but you must trade him out. I think the Patrick Cripps one being a bit more line ball, whether he was going to miss more time, and I'll talk about him later, that could probably be classified as a hold. But with English looking down the barrel of multiple weeks on the sidelines, I'd use his out as a good reason to trade for another big dog in the midfield or forward. Ruck, even if you don't have Grundy or Gorn, even though Grundy's kind of sucked lately, I think those two are still the top two dogs. Um, but speaking of dogs, Robbie McComb, McComb, McCombie, however you want to pronounce it, he's coming in for his AFL debut. Mature Rager, who captained Footscray's two side last year. He'll be interesting to watch as a cash cow. Lockie Hunter, Mitch Wallace and Riley Garcia out. So hopefully Robbie can score well and provide us with another handy cash cow. Uh, Port and West Coast, not tons to report. We got a new basement rookie with Hugh Dixon out injured in Luke Stradinka. Stradinka, he used to be a docker, so probably avoid him. Jack O'Mead and Jed, Jed McEntee from Port Adelaide, they're probably potential cash cows you might have on your pine. I wouldn't worry about flicking any of them out just yet. As I mentioned, the uh, nightcap on Saturday, we'll see Cripper return for the Blues. Big in and smart movie who decided to hold him. Don't hate the idea of bringing him back in this week as a trade target. As well, on Sunday, we've got a couple of debutants in Ollie Dempsey for the Cats and Paul Curtis for the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Both small forwards, so I don't expect to score a ton. So personally, I prefer to just wait a week and see how they look. Uh, Curtis is worth a little bit more than Dempsey. Dempsey's turned a couple of heads, but has needed some snags recently to get his score over 60 and 50s. And not a ton to report. On the Gold Coast Brisbane game, Keaton Coleman or Kadeen Coleman, whoever you pronounce his name, I did have a lot of interest in him in the preseason, and he makes his return from a hammy issue. But it's tough now. You can't really justify trading for someone in the 350 mark to play on your field. A lot of people will probably have your Tristan Cherries or Nick Martins, Joshua Shelley. I'd much rather back in those boys over uh, someone like Coleman, but and same in the back line. Who knows? If he goes well, we might have to consider him. And then the Richmond-Melbourne game, there were a slew of changes for the Tigers. Josh Kipkis comes back in, which might boost a couple of people's bench. Uh, Luke Dunstan makes his D's debut, which is good as well. And then, like I said, the Sunday team's yet to be confirmed, but we should see Will Day return. For the Hawks, along with Chad Wingard, Maxie Lynch is likely to come in after Ned Reeves got injured. Buddy might be playing in that game as well. But the biggest probably surprise in this week was Zachy Merritt returning for the Ds. Hopefully, uh, other Don, sorry. Hopefully, they can get their season on track with a win on Anzac Day against Collingwood. Those games always tend to live up to the hype, regardless of who's playing or what the form's like of each team. So hopefully, round six can end with a bang and those guys can uh, deliver us a classic. All right, cash cows. Now, instead of swinging through the entire Dream Team Talk article like I've done in weeks past, I just want to highlight 
a couple of blokes before outlining the guys I think are your best trade targets this week. So Nathan O'Driscoll starting down in defence is probably the only rookie that I feel safe fielding at the moment. Not as many people would have Zaya Wanganine Millera. Uh, and there's nothing else really appealing. Joel Smith and Josh Kipkiss are probably the only other blokes around the mark or Sam DeConning, that type of guy. So O'Driscoll, I don't mind backing in on your field. Much like Benny Hobbs performed well on debut for the Dons against Frio. Scored a 70. Don't know if he'll be able to reproduce something like that on Anzac Day in a big stage, big game, big crowd. But I back in his scoring pedigree over the next couple of weeks. And then a lot of people are probably doing a Josh Ward to Ben Hobbs move. Don't hate the idea of doing that. There was a couple of those midfielders who were touch and go. Like Mead got dropped, but Connor McDonald kept his spot. So if they're those you know, early to mid 300K blokes. If you want to ditch them, fine, go for it. But I don't think it's a priority. In the rucks, we still got tons of options. Sam Hayes, I'm big on, didn't score great on debut with a 50, but this is almost a perfect week to jump on him if you ask me. And I, if I could, would be doing that. But I'll look at probably downgrading Jack Hayes next week into him. We might see Paddy Ryder come in once his suspension's over. I doubt they're going to play all three of them, Ryder, Rowan Marshall and Jack Hayes again. But it's happened before, so... Watch this space. Tristan Cherry, Nick Martin, and Josh Rochelle, as I mentioned, are all blokes I have no dramas with fielding in your forward line. Corey Durden, it was good to see him bob back up for a solid 40-odd. I think he'll keep doing his job as a cash cow, hopefully on your bench, not on your field, and keep ticking up in value. And there are a couple of other junior forwards, some of the debutants I've already mentioned, and you've got the likes of Ralph Smith. A lot of people will probably trade him out. He's now out for a week or two with a rib issue. You might still have Willie Rioli or Paddy Nash floating down there if you invested in them early. So plenty of options in your forward line. As we're looking at the rookie trade targets this week that I just dropped on socials, I think Hobbsy's the top trade target for this round, but it depends a little bit on your situation. If you need someone you're going to play on your field, I reckon going for him's the smart route. But if you want a guy that you want to plug on your bench, I don't mind targeting Robbie McComb, 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 the Bulldogs youngster who's a mature ager, and he uh, saves you about 100K. So that's what I'm looking at doing personally because he's just going to sit on my bench. Like I mentioned, a couple of those other Bulldogs out should see him have a run of games. Worst case scenario, I can address that at a later date, but it's a lot of money to pay up for Hobbs on your pine. I think of the two, Hobbs will probably make you more money, but with that extra 100K difference, it might help you with your trades this week. Sam Hayes, is my third trade target from Port, the big Ruckman. Like I said, he's primed as a pick and I'd almost probably flop him into the second spot if you needed a Ruckman or you had someone like Hugh Dixon out down to Hayes. That could make you some handy bank. Ollie Dempsey, the basement-priced Geelong debutant. He's number four on the list with Malcolm Roses behind him. Roses, I don't endorse greatly as a cash cow, but he scored a 70-odd on the weekend and I have kind of looked at him through the lens of what he scored last year, but so far he hasn't been terrible. I probably have thrown the bloke under the bus a little bit and not rated him as highly for what he's achieved this season. I mean, had 73 last week, which is pretty good. Needed a couple of uh, tackles to get to that, but that's what you like to see because he kicked three the week before for his 58 and didn't kick a goal last week and still scored all right. And then don't hate him as your potential trade with a negative break even as well. And Paul Curtis is the sixth bloke who I listed, 222 as a forward. I mean, maybe if it suits your buyers and you need around 14 bloke, go for him. But I don't expect him to score greatly. And I'd much rather a Dempsey or Roses if you want to spend up because he's definitely going to tick up in value. 
as your trade target. My trade targets this week, I chopped and changed with what I was going to do, but with a Hayden Young omission in my back line, I've brought Nate O'Driscoll onto my field. Again, I think I trust him now. He's averaged near 80 in his last three, and I'm using a bit of DPP action, putting Skinner into my uh, back line, flicking a few blokes around, and then getting Robbie McComb on my bench. McComb, McComb, McCam, Robbie, old mate. And then the second trade is uh, with all the cash I've got, I'm going to trade Josh Ward straight up to Sam Walsh. Leaves me with 1K in the bank, five big dogs in the midfield. I did look at getting a Dane Zorko type. There's a lot of Sydney guys in the forward line who appeal to me, Heaney, Luke Parker as well could be an option, maybe even Jake Lloyd down my back line, but I do need a round 13 buy player as a premium in one of those lines, but I think I can wait for that for a couple of weeks and I'm just getting my hands on Walshy while I can. I wanted to start the year with him. I rate the bloke, so I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to pounce on him and hopefully not too well, but hopefully goes well uh, against Frio this weekend in WA. And that is another Sportsbeat episode in the books. Good luck for this weekend, fantasy coaches. I'll be back on Monday to do a sit down with JLo. We'll obviously discuss more stuff and bits and pieces after more NBA playoff games are in the books. And then I'm going to try and squeeze in a second weekly pod now. I'm thinking I might do a Friday one like I have just done with the fantasy updates and the Sunday teams. And then a midweek one on Wednesday, we'll look at a couple of other uh, bits and pieces as well. But thanks for tuning into this one. Till next time. <laughs>